Good stuff. All right, let's uh, let's go to text messages. And the first one I'm going to read here is from Braden, who says, "Amen." Declares story. God is so good. Mm. Yeah, it's good to hear a story of of just the miracles that God works in an individual's life from time mm. to time. So praise God for that one. Uh, let me see here. What do we got here? Okay, the un. Okay, all right. So here's here's the thing. I knew I couldn't mention COVID without being get getting bombarded with vax issues. Mm-hmm. And you know there's always going to be people on both sides of this issue and they're both going to have done extensive research and both sides are going to be quite passionate about the position that they take. And for some reason they want your opinion. I don't know why. They want, they want to force <laughs> me to agree with them every single time regardless of which side they are on. You know, I, I'm, I'm a part of a bit of a uh, informal group of guys who goes camping from time to time. We get mm-hmm. together and just go camping and go out the bush and have fun times and do fun things. And uh, I was chatting with one of them recently and I'm like, okay, next time we go camping, which of course will be after lockdowns because we were, you know, we were kind of tentatively planning a trip for September, October. And, of course, that's not going to happen because, you know, one of the guys in Sydney, one of them got stuck in New Zealand. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And uh, um, so we were sort of talking about it and I says, okay, here's going to be the rule. This will be the rule for the next time we go camping. There is not to be a mention of COVID, neither is there to be a mention of vaccines the whole time because I need a break. I don't know about you guys, but That's right. it's like, can anybody talk about anything else? But anyway, okay, so you guys, <laughs> you guys, uh, I, I, I raised it this morning, so it's my fault. So let's read the messages. Let's see what we've got here. Okay, uh, the unknown long-term side effects is what puts me off. That's what this person says. And I know that these cannot be determined until people take it. Well, that's the simple reality. We won't know that for another 10 years or so. But I think the more important aspect over whether to take it or not, I really like this. I'm, this, I'm on board with this person here. This is just like is uh, whether we take it or not, is we should all be promoting a lifestyle that God says is a safeguard against disease. Simple things like no meat, alcohol, coffee, smoking. Really simple stuff. Mm-hmm. That's going to give you, you know, we had uh, Dr. Uh, I've one, blank. one of those guys on here the other day, and he was pointing out that uh, a vegetarian diet and good exercise will give you a 76% protection against COVID. You know, that's, that's up there with, you know, some of the low-end vaccines. Mm. Um, of course, he was pointing out that you combine that with a vaccine and you get much better uh, results. But anyway... But as I, be that as it may, I think this is excellent right here. Forget talking about vaccines all the time. Let's start talking about healthy lifestyle. So here's going to be my rule for my camping trip. No discussion on vaccines. No discussion on COVID. But if you want to talk about healthy lifestyle, if you want to share your uh, vegan recipes that you've been downloading off of Lawson's um, <laughs> recipe book, go for it. If you want to start cooking those, I will be more than happy to trial them for. I will give them clinical trials. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Dude, I've been making a different I'll, I'll do, one every I'll do, single day. I'll do clinical trials on anything in your cookbook, Lawson. I made one, the stir fry in the cookbook and I, I, I had it t- two days in a row. I made it two days in a row because the first day I had it, literally, I was thinking about it all day after I ate it. I was like, that was the best stir fry ever. And it came out of my own walk. So, yeah. Okay. Top level stuff. Yeah. And you didn't invite me. 
Oh, I literally caught. I literally caught him by you. All right. He continues on. Is unfortunately, it's easy to say that vaccine is the only way out, rather than your lifestyle is killing mm. you. Uh, that's from Braden, and a very good point right there. Um, on evolution, interesting the numbers regarding belief in evolution as by Democrats as opposed to Republicans. That I was super so this fascinated. Is, this, this is really interesting, okay? Uh, because when I got this text message, I did a bit of further research on it. This one's from Vincent. Um, so Republicans, uh, 76% of Republicans reject the fact that we evolved from monkeys. 83% of Democrats accept that we evolved from monkeys. Mm-hmm. So Vincent goes on to say, is this betraying eugen- eugenist ideologies? Ooh. So then I looked that up. So 76% of Republicans reject evolution. 78% of Republicans are pro-choice. Pro, pro-life, sorry, pro-life. Okay. That's a pretty close statistic. Yeah. 83% of Democrats accept evolution and 80% of Democrats are pro-abortion. Mm-hmm. Pro-abortion abortion is, you know, the new form of um, eugenics that we have these days. Mm-hmm. And those figures show a direct correlation between the two. And what it does show also is that a recognition of the value of human life by people who recognize that we are created and a recognition of a morality involved in taking human life when we recognize that we are created rather than we came from monkeys. Mm. So we came from monkeys. There is no such thing as morality. The only moral thing to do is to ensure that your genetic material is passed on. That's it. Nothing more than that. Mm. And you can't argue for any other morality. But if we are created by God, if we did not come from monkeys, then that's a different issue. All right, uh, moving on here. We do have more text messages to talk about. I think there's a really good point that Vincent raised right there. That was just, yeah, wow. Okay, uh, now talk about 80% are vaxxed and they're... Uh, now talk about Israel. 80% are vaxxed and their hospitals are full with people that are fully vaxxed. Now they are talking about booster shots. Booster shots. Uh, I think this one came through from John. This is a really interesting one right here, so I thought I'd do a bit of quick research on it. So if we look at Israel, uh, it's a great example of where every country is going to go in relationship to vaccines. And it's a great illustration of how vaccines actually work and how they're actually supposed to work. Mm. So if you go back to January, they had 11,934 cases in January with 1,000 serious cases in hospital. Wow. Then they went into lockdown. Lockdown works. We know that, that we know that works. We've seen it effectively here in Australia. And basically they went into hard lockdown and stopped COVID cold mm. with, with lockdown. Uh, so then they vaccinated 80-plus percent of their population and ended the lockdown. Um, by the end of July, they had 1,118 cases with 73 of them in hospital. So you've got 11,000 versus 1,100. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what you expect because no vaccine and, – and if there's a medical professional out there who wants to correct me on this, then please do so. But no vaccine, to my understanding, is designed to prevent infection. It's mm-hmm. designed to give your body the means to fight the infection the moment it arrives. That's right. 
That's right. Yeah. So it doesn't stop the infection. The only way it ever stops the infection is when it creates an environment in the world where there is an unviable population of the virus, say you know polio or smallpox or something like that. Um, it just becomes unviable. You know, there's, there's just too few of them in the world left and they disappear. Mm. Um, that's the only way you actually stop an infection with a vaccine. And so you would expect that, okay, you can't live in lockdown forever, they get 80% um, vaccinated, you would expect that then once the vaccines have been administered, they're going to ease restrictions, which is going to cause a surge in infections. Mm. Because it's not designed to stop infections. Yeah, that's right. And you're going to get a surge in hospitalizations because that's still going to happen. And that's exactly what we see in Israel. I, I don't see what the issue here is. We are seeing exactly what should happen in relationship to a vaccine in the uh, state of Israel at this time. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And also what we should uh, expect to happen here in Australia, New South Wales. We will have a surge once uh, the vaccines have been finished and the lockdowns begin to um, be eased. Anyway, um, we need to get to our Bible studies. I've got more text messages here. I'll come back and read some more of those later, but we do spend too much time on our <laughs> text messages. Sometimes. We'll see how we see how we go for time this morning. We've got a great Bible study and we need to spend some time in the Bible um, and looking at what the Bible says. So let's go to, uh, why don't you go to Exodus chapter 20? And I'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're going to do a bit of a comparison oh, this morning this. between these two subjects. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely awesome because you've got the Ten Commandments given twice, but differently. Mm-hmm. So the first time, the Ten Commandments, you've got the Ten Commandments that are given by God himself. They are spoken from Mount Sinai and then carved by the finger of God into stone. Mm. That's what you've got in Exodus chapter 20. Read for us verse 8. In verse 8, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay, so uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. In other words, don't forget it. Mm -hmm. So as we pointed out yesterday, this is one commandment where God is not introducing something new. He's saying, okay, you all know about the Sabbath, so don't forget it. Yeah. You know, the word remember or don't forget implies previous knowledge of the Sabbath. The Sabbath has been there for a very, very long time. It was given in the Garden of Eden, and it has never gone away. Okay, then when you go over to Deuteronomy, what you've got is another opportunity for rest. So just to give a little bit of historical background on this, um, Israel is camped on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Mm. They've taken possession through battle and conquest of the lands of Og, king of Bashan, and that's why I might call my hammer Og, by the way. Because <laughs> it's the king of Bashan. <laughs> Absolutely. My hammer is called Og. Um, and the two kings of the Amorites. Um, so, you know, they've, they've, they've been fighting hard, and this has been a bitter-fought campaign against very, very powerful people groups. And so Moses calls the people together and says, let's take a break. You know, we've got Canaan in front of us. We've taken this uh, uh, eastern side of Jordan. 
Uh, but we've got Canaan in front of us. Let's take a break and let's go back and let's go over the, the, the word of God. And he begins you know, with the Ten Commandments. And so they're having a break. They're having a rest right here. And this is not just a time to sit back and relax. This is a time to grow close to God. And so he comes along and he repeats the Ten Commandments. And what's interesting is when he comes to the Fourth Commandment, he speaks it in a different way. Mm. He does not begin with the word remember. So here it is. I'll read this one. Yours simply says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Mm. In the first one, he says, remember, don't forget. This one, Moses says, keep it. Mm -hmm. Why do you think there might be a difference between the two? Um, Well, I think when when they're telling them to keep the Sabbath day in Exodus chapter 20, it's like the the reintroduction of the Sabbath and the meaning of it. Yes. Um, like Because they've just come out of slavery. Yeah. They're like, they've, they've been slaves for like hundreds of years. They don't have any knowledge of God. They don't have the Ten Commandments. Not that they had that before slavery. You know, it's a little bit more uh, loose. But just in terms of like a formalized list of, of God's ideals, you know, they had never been introduced to that. And, and the Sabbath was w- one of those things. You know, they, they hadn't really kept a spiritualized Sabbath habitually for hundreds well, while of years. They were, they were, while they were slaves, they'd been forced to work. Exactly, exactly. And so Moses telling them to remember is, is really like a... Don't forget this. You forgot it before. Don't, don't forget, forget this. Yeah, that's right. Okay, how many slaves, how many ex-slaves were there when we come down to this particular point here when they camped on the east side of the Jordan? Well, they're all ex-slaves. No, they're not actually, because this is forty years later. Okay, there's three. Moses. Oh, that's right. Joshua. Yeah, it's the new generation. It's the new generation. Mm. This is the new generation. They've never been slaves. Mm. Now, of course, they haven't crossed over Jordan, and so there would be some elderly people there. Um, so you've got Joshua, Caleb, and Moses, who is still alive. But Moses is not going to cross over Jordan, and in the you know in the next days or weeks, uh, there's probably some other uh, very elderly ex-slave Israelites who will pass away. Mm. But Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who go across Jordan That's right. into the promised mm. land. Okay, so this is going to this tells us something different about the context then because these guys are not ex-slaves. They're second gen. Mm. They've grown up in freedom. And so when Mo, when God comes to the ex-slaves who had been, you know, for a very long time enslaved in Egypt and forced to work on the Sabbath, he says, remember. He says, don't forget the Sabbath. You forgot it before. Don't forget it again. That's right. Here, Moses is saying, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep the Sabbath. Mm. But then how does yours end in verse 11? In verse 11, the Bible says, it continues on, and it says, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Okay, so God does something specific here that he does none of the other commandments where he points out that the reason for keeping the Sabbath is to remember him as their creator. That's right. And so once again, you know, they've been living in Egypt. They have, you know, all of the Egyptian creation myths that have been passed on down through of the multitude of three and a half thousand different Egyptian gods that uh, they have and 
so many different variations of the same God depending on which village you live in. And mm. if, if you pray to a particular God in this village and you don't get the answer you like, you go to the next village and pray to the same God in that village and you might get a different answer. Mm. You know, it's pretty bizarre kind of stuff in, in ancient Egypt. But uh, and, and so God is introducing himself like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not the God who, you know, was the offspring of this God and that God getting together and, you know, this God over there having an affair with that God and, you know, or this, you know, some illegitimate bastard God that has sort of appeared on the scene. And, you know, they were so complex, mm. the Egyptian gods. You can never really untangle all of them. He's like, no, I'm the one who created everything. I'm the only one. I'm that. That's it. And this is, and the Sabbath is to remind you not to go after all of these gods, mm. to remind you that the God that you serve, he's not corrupt. He's not like a human. He doesn't do human things. He's not having affairs and sleeping around and fighting battles. He's creating the universe. Mm. When it comes to these people um, here, let me read this one through. It says, keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and you shall not work. You, nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your ox, nor your ass, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates, that your manservant and your maidservant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out there with, through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Yeah, wow. Okay, so in Exodus 20, the commandments that are written on stone, God says, keep the Sabbath day as a memorial of creation. Mm. When Moses re reiterates the Ten Commandments, he says, keep the Sabbath day as a reminder that you came out of Egypt where you were slaves. All right, so first of all, we have to ask ourselves the question, why is it a reminder of them coming out of Egypt? How, do, how does the Sabbath serve that? Why is it rephrased here? And what meaning does this have to us today? Mm. There's some questions that we need to delve into at this particular point. Okay, so how does the Sabbath become a reminder that they were slaves in Egypt? Um, well, I think it's like I think a big thing for them would be that it was reinstituted after slavery, straight after slavery. Yeah, like uh, one of the first things done once they get out <laughs> into the wilderness, and they're past the Egyptians. They're like, take a deep breath. <sighs> yeah, we're free. And God's like, all right, take a deep breath, relax. Now let's talk about a few things. It was ultimately like the privilege of freedom that yes. they had been given. It, it was one of the privileges of freedom. And I think for them, you know, a representation as a perfect representation of them coming out of slavery because it's like, wow, we can now rest. Yes. Like, like, and it's, you know, in a, in a complete and general sense, like, yes, they could have a rest from slavery. Like now they're free. Yes. But in a very specific sense, it's like we are free to worship God and the Sabbath enables that to do us. Absolutely. We're going to talk more about this. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so I did say that we would uh, try and get back to some of these text messages if we had a little time. So I'll delve into one very quickly um, and then we'll move on with our Bible study because we need to spend time in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. um, somebody says, that's a good rule for your trip because I said next camping trip. 
we're going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about the Lord. We're not going to talk about anything but about vaccines. <laughs> uh, that's a good rule for your trip, but it doesn't alter the fact of forced vaccinations are upon us. I wouldn't even mention it if I had the choice to vaccinate or not. Well, the reality here in Australia is we still do have the choice. We are one of the most regulated countries in the world as far as that goes. Uh, I will readily accept that, and I am passionately pro-choice on this particular issue. What I find interesting is that we are also one of, if not the most, vax-hesitant countries in the world. Mm. Uh, 32% vax-hesitant is a very, very high number. I think it's the highest number in the world. And so, um, you know, when I believe that the more you regulate the more people are going to be hesitant. The more you try and force, the more people are going to buck the system. Mm. And I think in these countries where there's actually no enforcement, they're getting much, much higher rates of vaccination. And I think that's a very logical conclusion to come to, but you know, our government doesn't seem to come to that particular conclusion. And, of course, there are many dire predictions of how that, you know, this will be uh, forced on 100% of the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, forced on 100% of Australia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to point out that these are predictions. Mm. And at this stage, they are nothing more than predictions. This is not fact. That's right. It may happen. I don't know. It may not. I doubt that it will happen. When it comes to the mark of the beast, I have no doubts. On this one, I have doubts. Mm. And the Bible gives me plenty of room for doubts. All right, let's see here. Where are we up to? We are in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And let's take a look at what the Bible says here. Uh, well, we were looking at what the Bible says about um, in verse 15 there, where it says, Remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out from there through a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And we're asking the question, okay, how is the Sabbath a memorial of coming out of slavery in Egypt? And, of course, the giving of the Sabbath was one of the, was pretty much the first big event that they had after the crossing of the Red Sea. That's so right. The crossing of the Red Sea. Um, that's where they actually leave the, the borders of Egypt. That's a pretty big event. Mm. Uh, the next big one is the giving of the Sabbath from Mount Sinai, where God speaks it from Mount Sinai. It's the biggest of the, all of the you know, issues that pretty much any human being has ever gone through. Mm. And so um, that's the first point. The second thing is this. In the land of Egypt, they were slaves. A slave doesn't have a choice as to whether they work on Sabbath or not. They're forced to. Mm. You know, and that's what we're talking about, enforcement right here, uh, as far as some of these text messages go, and enforcement of religious things coming in the future once again, because that's what the Bible says. People will force you in relationship to uh, keeping God's commandments. That's definitely on on the cards in right there in Revelation chapter 13. And so every time they keep the Sabbath, and every time they rest for an entire day, they can remember that their forefathers in Egypt were slaves. Mm. A slave can't rest. They are doing something that they are they are doing it because they can. Yeah. And uh, therefore it can, becomes a reminder. You know, slavery is one of those things that really burns itself into a people's psyche. Yeah. You know, you look at the United States which um, had slavery up until, what was 1864? Mm. wasn't that long ago. It wasn't the most recent country to outlaw slavery. Um, 
Brazil was the one that didn't outlaw slavery until 1888. But in America, look at the look at the issues that that is still creating to this day. Mm. Massive, massive issues that continue to this day in that country. We saw the rioting that took place uh, last year right across the United States, people's lives being lost all over the place as a carryover from that issue. Mm. And you kind of – sorry, let me just continue this thought for yeah, a second. Hold, hold that idea. You kind of wonder how long does that continue for? Mm. How long before they forget? And then you look at the Israelites and every time they keep the Sabbath, for a Jewish person, they're being reminded that their forefathers were once slaves. Mm. Three and a half thousand years later, they haven't forgotten. Yeah, I, I think it's like with slavery and, and why it is so, you know, why it causes so many problems and why it has such long-lasting effects um, is because it's, Firstly, incredibly traumatic. Um, you know, we're not talking about like biblical slavery in terms of indentured service or whatever it may be that no, the no, Jews no, no. practice. We're talking yeah. about when it comes to like full on human slavery and slave trade and all these things. Like it's a massively traumatic thing for people to go through that alters the psyche of, and this is the thing is not just of one person. The second point is, is that it's such a societal um, altering problem. Like, it, it has such an effect on so many people collectively as a community that I think that, yeah, the of course the effects still get felt even as the generations, um, you know, pass on, even as they pass on into freedom. Um, there is always just going to be that effect there because of the... You know, it was it was a big it was a big societal problem that connected connected a huge community of people. You know, um, just compared to other traumatic events that are just as traumatic. But you know, if a singular person uh, experiences abuse from another, um, which is terrible and terribly traumatic, um, but as the generations go on, you can find that there's less of effect there because there's no there was no societal shift that that changed that it was an interpersonal thing going on whereas slavery is very much you know a representation of the society that the people are living in so of course there's there's always going to be those wounds in their pain and that pain there as the generations go on um and that's what's so beautiful about the sabbath um and the society that the jews do become is because they instate as a community a time to, yes, remember back to when they were slaves, but to highlight the fact that God helped them overcome. And I feel like, you know, that's, the, you know, if I if I see any need um, today uh, that could really help people heal today from the wounds of slavery that are experienced by people in our age, it's, it's some kind of reminder that, They've been set free, um, and that God and, and and even more than that, you know, uh, just dignity and everything is on their side. And so, I think it's a yeah, a really beautiful thing that the Sabbath has provided the Jewish community because they can overcome really those those scars. Yes, you're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. So that means it is time for. Question of the day. All right, well, our question of the day, you're kind of being called out here. Okay. 
Um, and it's, it's essentially, um, is the Messiah's real name Joshua slash Yeshua? Um, and if so, why do you shy away from using this name? Um, well, it's not that I shy away from it. It's just not the English pronunciation of it. So the uh, Hebrew pronunciation would be something along the lines of Yeshua. I'm not a Hebrew expert or Hebrewist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but Y-S-H-U-A uh, would be the uh, spelling of that and the English pronunciation of that would be Joshua. Um, the Greek pronunciation of that is something along the lines of Eosus, which then translates from uh, Greek into English as Jesus. And so you're going to find in every different language that there is a different pronunciation for your name, for everybody else's name, and you're also going to find that some names just simply don't translate and in other countries you're going to necess- it will necessitate you taking on a different name altogether just so that you can be part of the community. Um, and if you jump online, it's interesting because you can actually look up you know, your name and see what it is in lots of different languages. I find it interesting whenever I sp- travel through uh, Hispanic or Spanish-speaking countries, uh, my name is pronounced Lile. That's hilarious. And which kind of sounds like Lily, which I don't really like. Uh, but, um, yeah, as soon as I step off the plane, it's like, oh, Lile. And everybody's calling me Lile. And it's just like, you know, you get used to it after the first five minutes and it's fine. It's like, well, just call me whatever you want. Don't call me late for lunch. Um, <laughs> And so this is how language works. We just got to recognize how language works. Is there anything wrong with calling Jesus by Yeshua, which was probably as close as we can get to the actual pronunciation that was used in that particular day, or Joshua by the same name? No, there's nothing wrong with that at all. If that's what you prefer to do, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. One of the things that I do find significant, though, is that it was God who created all of the different languages. And because God created all of the different languages, then, uh, you know, I don't think that God's going to be disappointed when people speak to him in the language that he created in the first place. Now, what I also find interesting is that, you know, there's some places where I can travel, like, for instance, if I go to Korea, people cannot actually pronounce my name in Korea. Oh, there's no Korean pronunciation for Lyle. And it's funny to watch Koreans who can, you know, phonetically try and figure out L-Y-L-E, try and get their tongue around it, and they just can't. And so, you know, if I was living in Korea, I'd just take a Korean name. You know, you, I've got so many Asian friends here in Australia who have just taken an Australian name. That's right, yeah. You know, because it's just it's what makes life easy. It's what makes life work. And so people do can tend to get, you know, really bent out of shape over, you know, all of the different names for God. There are many different names and titles for God. And some of the names that we use for God are actually titles. That's not incorrect either because, you know, in the language that we use today, we often call people by a title rather than by a name. You know, we might talk to somebody and say, hey, pastor, can you help me with this? Or, hey, sir, can you help me with this? Whatever it might be. Um, that's, That's how people communicate. And God is, you know, God is not so small and God is not so petty and not, God is not so um, small-minded that God is going to get upset like, I'm going to keep that person out of heaven because they didn't use the exact pronunciation that was used in the first century AD. That's not how God works. We serve a God of love and when you love people, there are some things that are important and you make that very, very clear. There are other things that are very unimportant, and you see that very clearly in the way that the inspired writers of the New Testament 
did not write Yeshua when they wrote the New Testament. They wrote uh, Eosuus, the Greek word, when they wrote the New Testament. They could have written Yeshua, but they didn't. They wrote it in Greek, and so they transliterated into Greek. And so God, through inspiration, has actually given us a model of transliterating names. And so, yes, in the Old Testament it is Yeshua, and in the New Testament uh, you'll find it written as, well, as we pronounce it, Jesus in English today. And that's what we call transliteration. So if God inspired the New Testament writers to transliterate, then I don't think that God is going to be too concerned when we transliterate today. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.